today we start a new series of messages called What We Need. We just, uh, uh, at the beginning of the year, we talked about what God wants through the book of Micah. Today, starting in John chapter 14, all the way to the end of the Gospel of John, uh, we're going to be looking at what we need. Uh, what we need is really a picture uh, of Jesus answering some of the deepest needs that we have as individuals and as followers of Christ. Uh, whether you're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, the things we'll talk about, those are the things that we need. And every individual needs some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. Today we're talking about comfort. And we're going to see in John chapter 14 how Jesus begins to answer the question about needing comfort. Um, uh, let me just go ahead and, and here's the spoiler um, and I'm not doing this in a creative way. I'm just telling you like it is. The answer to what we need is Jesus. All right, so I, just in case you didn't know where I was headed, just want to go ahead and throw that out there. I don't want any bait and switch. I mean, uh, I, I don't want to promise Bluebell ice cream and give you, you know, off-brand uh, stuff that doesn't taste like ice cream. I, I want to give you the real deal. So I'm promising you comfort, but that comfort comes only through Jesus Christ. The only way that you and I can have comfort that lasts is through Jesus. And when Jesus catches our heart, then we can have comfort that will never disappear. Now, I grew up wanting comfort. A comfort in simple things. See, I've shared with, with many of you about my upbringing. I had great family, great have a great family, have great parents, had a wonderful childhood, ex wonderful experience. But one of the challenges that I had growing up was my home. I'm not talking about my family, I'm talking about my home. See, my home was filled with antiques. And when I say filled with antiques, I mean the Dallas Morning News did an article on the antiques in my home. I'm not talking about just a few antiques. I'm talking about it was all antiques. I did not know that there were chairs that had upholstery on them until later in life. That is not a joke. I mean, I didn't know. We had antiques, 17th, uh, 18th century and 19th century antiques filled my home, and I didn't know what an easy chair was, did not own a recliner, had never seen a recliner. The only thing that I would sit in, we would sit in wicker chairs. Now, uh, th these, are, these are chairs that have, have uh, uh, you know, bark has been shaved and make, make the bottom and the back. And let me just tell you something. Wicker is not comfortable. It pinches your legs. It's not comfortable. There's nothing comfortable about a wicker chair. And these were antique wicker chairs. You know, 18th century, 19th century antiques. Um, we didn't have a couch in my living room or my den. We didn't have a couch that you could look, uh, watch TV. Uh, by the way, the TV was hidden in a corner cupboard. And the only time you would open it was when you were actually watching TV. But if company ever came over, you had to close that cupboard so that people would walk in and didn't know that you had a 20th century appliance in the house. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the only place where you could sit to watch TV was, uh, it wasn't a couch, it was an antique wooden church bench. You think you're sitting in something uncomfortable? These, these church benches, they didn't go at an angle. They were straight. They were a straight L. They didn't have any cushions on them. They were straight wood, and the splinters would find your legs as well. So you're either going to get pinched by the, by the, uh, 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 by the uh, 
wicker chairs or, or you're going to get, uh, uh, gonna get uh, splinters in your leg by the, by the anxious bench. And uh, then uh, when mom and dad finally got rid of two kids, my older brother and me, and sent us off to college, then they could afford better chairs. They got Windsor chairs. <laughs> Look, my, my mom's favorite place in the world, Colonial Williamsburg. She modeled her home after Colonial Williamsburg. I hate Colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love it to visit. Wouldn't want to live there. Anyway, uh, so, I, I, you know, I didn't, I, I, I discovered something when I, you know, when I grew up a little bit and, and started visiting friends. There's a thing called a bean bag. Oh, my goodness. I got so excited. First time I got to sit in a bean bag. I was 18. Just kidding. I, I was younger than that. 15 or 16. I, I mean, I, I, I'd, never, I'd never said anything so comfortable. Uh, we, we, the one place that I could find some comfort was when I went to bed at night. Now, my room, uh, when I finally got my own room, uh, my room, I had a bed. Now, we had, a, we had an antique chair, had an antique desk, and I slept in an antique rope bed. Rope bed. Antique rope bed, the way they would uh, do it, they'd fill a, a, a kind of a, a mattress with uh, uh, hay, or they would fill it with uh, grass, or uh, fill it with goose feathers or goose down, and they'd fill this mattress, and they, they'd have ropes that would intertwine uh, between the frame of the bed, and they would, that's what you would sleep in. You would tighten the ropes as they got looser and looser, and you'd tighten them back up. Well, thankfully, my parents uh, rigged it so I didn't have to sleep on ropes. I actually could sleep on a box spring and mattress, and man, it was awesome. It was comfortable, but here's what I learned. I learned that people who lived in the 18th and 19th centuries were shorter than the people who lived in the 20th century. Because I'm not a tall man by any stretch of the imagination, but as I hit teen years, my feet hangeth off the bed. So even the most comfortable place had a level of discomfort to it. And so I started looking for friends with couches. That's how I'd measure a friend. Oh, yeah, yeah. I started dating girls because, you know, they had a wingback chair. I mean, that was great. You know, it was a wonderful thing. But um, I, I loved my home, loved my raising. I'm not bitter about any of that at all. At all. <laughs> you know, we, we do look for comfort, not just physical comfort. We look for comfort in the midst of the crazy. And all of us face the crazy. I mean, you face the crazy, I face the crazy. We all face the crazy. And in the midst of the crazy, we're looking for comfort. And maybe that comfort comes in different ways for you. Uh, maybe it's something as simple as put the kids down for a nap, demand they go for a nap, lock them in the room until they take a nap. We make sure that they take a nap so that we can curl up on a couch with a hot cup of coffee or cocoa or tea and read a good book. And we have escape for a moment, and we have some comfort. Or maybe the comfort is, is uh, uh, for those of you who exercise, maybe it's a, a, a rigorous time in the gym, or maybe it's going for a long run, and maybe, maybe that, that's your source of comfort. Just something to, to relieve you uh, from all the stress and the press of your crazy life. And maybe, maybe it's... Uh, hanging out in a deer stand or putting camo on and hiding in the bushes for a turkey and, and calling them in. Um, 
Maybe it's hiking into the wilderness and finding a pristine mountain stream, go fly fishing. Boom. Maybe it's, maybe it's just taking a walk on the beach. But there's some place of comfort that you find. But here's the problem with that comfort. The problem with that comfort is eventually the cup is drained dry and the kids wake up. The problem is eventually the walk, the run, or the hike comes to a close. And the comfort stops and the crazy begins. I know people around me and even in my own life at different times moving from from comfort to comfort to comfort. That's why people have this idea of thank God it's Friday kind of thing, just a relief from work, give me a little comfort from the stress and the press of my everyday life and here comes Friday and Friday is made for something other than work. Just a little relief. But even with that relief. The crazy doesn't go away. The stress and the press and the chaos, it doesn't end. It's still there on Monday to meet you again. So how can you have comfort? I'm talking about comfort that doesn't stop, a comfort that doesn't end. How can you have a comfort that secures your future? How can you have a comfort that empowers and strengthens you in the everyday? How can you have a comfort, the comfort of a persistent, constant wisdom to help you navigate the crazy? How can you have comfort every single day with a satisfying intimacy that nourishes your soul? How can you have comfort that doesn't disappear? That's really what Jesus is getting at in John chapter 14. He, he said, hey, listen, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You look down in in, in John 14, verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. Not as the world gives it do I give it to you. Uh, Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. You know what Jesus is talking about? He's saying, hey, listen, I'm promising you a peace that's going to stick. I'm promising you a life of comfort regardless the trouble. Now, by the end of this talk, I want you to know where we're headed. I'm going to say to you this. I'm going to say you can live a life of comfort. And some of you will say to me in your heart and in your head, I don't think so. Some of you, even as followers of Christ, will say, no, I'm happier in my misery or my bitterness. I pray that it's not you. I pray that today you might see and allow Jesus to capture your heart in such a way that you have comfort, even in the midst of the crazy. That you have comfort even in the midst of of the difficulty. You have comfort even when your world begins to shake, rattle, and roll, and everything that you thought was supposed to be is, is not the way it was meant to be, in, at least in your thinking. And even then, you can be comforted. 
When Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. He was, he was setting the stage for what he was about to deliver. And, and he was getting ready to drop some truth bombs on his followers so that they would be ready for reality when it hit. And today he speaks to you and he speaks to me. And he wants to drop some truth bombs on you so that you can be ready for reality when it hits as soon as you walk out those doors. Jesus was talking to his followers and he was telling them, he said at the end of John chapter, in John chapter 13, the end of chapter 13, he said, I'm leaving you and I'm going away. That's not what his disciples had envisioned. That's not what they had planned. That wasn't part of their schedule and chaos began to erupt. That's why he said, let not your heart be troubled. He said, don't worry about it. Be comforted. Why? Because Jesus had come to give them comfort that could help them survive the chaos that was about to hit. You see, we need comfort, the comfort of a secure tomorrow. That's what we need. We need the comfort of a secure tomorrow. And, and I know how, how difficult it can be to have a secure tomorrow, at least the way we measure it. And we look at our tomorrow and we think how insecure it is with economy and, and ISIS and, and politics and, and, and our relationships. And, and, and we look at our life and we say, my goodness, my tomorrow is not secure. But that's, that's when Jesus isn't part of the equation. See, when Jesus is part of the equation... He secures our future. Let not your heart be troubled, he said. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I'm going, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How then can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus was talking about a tomorrow that he would secure when our hearts are captured by him. When our lives are captured by Jesus, he secures our tomorrow. And Jesus is not an Indian giver. When he gives it, he gives it forever. And there is nothing that can take it away. And Jesus said, if you believe in me, if you follow after me, then I'm going to give you an eternity in heaven with God. Our tomorrow is secure. Our tomorrow is secure because we have heaven that Jesus has already prepared for those who have followed after him. We have heaven. We have mansions. We have dwelling places that he is uniquely and personally prepared for us. We have heaven waiting for us. Glory. But we get so distressed by the snow. We get so turned upside down by the suffering that a snowstorm brings. That we lose sight of comfort. It's still there. Our future is secure. Our tomorrow is in place. But we lose sight of that comfort because we get so distressed by our today. 
And really the lesson that I think Jesus was trying to teach his followers is you, you need to stop with this fast food Christian mentality. You need to think a little bit longer term. You need to stop thinking that this right now moment is the only moment, the most important moment in all eternity. Friends, we need to start looking ahead and beyond the snowstorm. We need to start seeing what's down the road. We need to start looking at the heaven that is waiting for us. See, I got to tell you, we get all bent out of shape about a snowstorm, and there were 21 believers, Coptic Christians, who determined that death was okay because they knew where their tomorrow was. You see, they could have recanted. They could have denied that they believed in Jesus. Instead, they sang a song of praise to Jesus. They could have rejected Jesus in that moment and possibly gained their life, but instead of recanting Jesus, they had their future secure. They looked at their eternity and they said, Jesus is enough for me. See, here's what we do. We look at the snow and we forget about heaven. And we gripe and complain and moan. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Look, I know your right now can be challenging. But think about how Paul said it. He said, I consider this present suffering to be just a small little old bitty thing compared to the future glory that awaits me in heaven with Jesus. We can have the comfort of our secured tomorrow. We need uh, the comfort of a secure tomorrow. We also need the comfort of an empowered today. See, I know, and Jesus knew, that, that it's not enough for us to look forward and see heaven. I mean, that's great. Isn't it great? You love songs about heaven, don't you? I mean, as a follower of Jesus, that's shouting, singing, kind of dancing kind of stuff. And by the way, if you don't like dancing, you better get an attitude adjustment. Because there's going to be a whole lot of dancing in heaven, and they're going to sign you up for the course. I'm just saying. Anyway, that was free. Nobody else got that. It's one thing for us to look forward. And, and Jesus was all about it. He said, hey, listen, I'm taking you from here to heaven. Don't be troubled. I'll get you from here to heaven. And then what invariably happens is we say, oh, absolutely, God, Jesus is going to take us from here to heaven, but it's the in-between that gets us in trouble. See, I, I, I'm happy that I'm going to get from here to heaven, but I also need help for the here and now. I need help for my today. Well, Jesus offers us that too. Look down in verse 12. In, in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, uh, um, Whoop. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. 
greater works than these he'll do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. All right, let me break this down just for a second. He's not saying if you ask for a a Cadillac, he'll give you a Cadillac. He's saying that if you ask for anything that lines up with bringing God greater glory, Jesus will give you all the help you need. You live your life for God's honor and fame. Make no mistake, Jesus will give you all the help you need. He will give you all the strength you need to live your life for his honor and for his fame. He will give you all the help you need to make it through the here and now. He will strengthen you. He will empower you with greater power than we've even seen displayed by his hand during his time. Jesus said, anything you need in your journey to honor God, I'll give you all the help you need. I'll give you all the power so that we are not weak. Well, maybe we are. See, here's the thing. We get in trouble when we start thinking we're strong. We're, we're, we're in trouble when we start thinking that, that we, we're strong enough. It's when we recognize our weakness to do what God wants that he says, I'm going to give you the strength you need in the midst of your weakness. In fact, God says that his grace is sufficient for us in the midst of our weakness and his strength begins to show up and shine brightly at the weakest moments that we have. See, our problem sometimes is that we don't admit that we're weak. Can I tell you my weakest moment every week? Every seven days, my weakest moment is when I'm getting ready to stand up here. It's my weakest moment. It's the, it's the moment where I feel the most insecure about my abilities. It's the moment where I feel the most vulnerable uh, in my own frailty. I got to tell you, when I stand up here, I stand up here trembling But here's the good news. As long as I start out trembling, that's when Jesus gives the strength I need and the strength you need. Can I tell you another place where I just tremble? It's not a joke. It's for real. It's parenting. Scares me to death. uh, Maggie and Mallory are here today, and and, uh, uh, I I told them yesterday, uh, maybe it was just Maggie, I, I told them, I said, you know, it stresses me out, parenting my girls. And they're great girls. I mean, they, they make great decisions, as much as I know about them. Um, <laughs> I'm not naive. But I, I, I just don't feel like I'm up to the task. But I want my girls to honor God. And I want my parenting to honor God. And when I start out that way, even in my weakness, even in, even in my insecurity as a parent, when I start out, I want, I want my parenting to honor God, and I want my girls to honor God, and so I cry out for help. Guess what? Jesus gives me all the strength I need in that moment. Anything you ask in my name, you're going to get it done. So today, we have power regardless of the storm, regardless of the pain, regardless of the suffering. We've got power in the midst of it. If our motivation is to bring God glory. 
We we have the power that we need so that when we cry out to Jesus, he responds and he gives us the grace and the mercy that will help us in our time of need. He will strengthen us beyond our ability so that we can be comforted. We need comfort of a powered, empowered today, but we also need the comfort of, uh, of perfect counsel. We, we, need, we need the comfort of perfect counsel because there are so many things that I face that I don't know what to do. Huh? Especially when the crazy hits. I'm not talking about people necessarily. When the crazy hits, everything goes insane. Chaos erupts. When the crazy hits, I don't know what to do. Some of y'all are in the midst of the crazy. It may not be external circumstances, maybe the emotions that you're feeling or, or, or the life that you're having to, to, to lead right now, the relationships around you, everything's gone haywire, everything's turned upside down. You're in the crazy. But here's the good news. In the midst of the crazy, Jesus offers us, has provided for us, the perfect counsel. It's the perfect counsel because it is the Spirit of God Himself. Look down in verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper. That term helper in the Greek is parakletos, and it means helper, comforter, counselor, advocate. Literally, it means someone who is called alongside you to help you as you go. So Jesus says, here the Holy Spirit of God is going to be called alongside you so that you can have all the help, wisdom, truth you need to navigate through the crazy in your life. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So here's here's the message. The Holy Spirit of God poured out into our hearts is the Holy Spirit who gives us the counsel that we need to face every circumstance. He's the one that gives us wisdom. I, I do have to say this. When I lack wisdom, my first response is usually to read a book. Isn't that pathetic? Well, maybe you don't think it's pathetic. It's pathetic. When I lack wisdom, my first response should be to call on the Spirit of God to give me wisdom. And the Spirit of God will point me to the Bible and give me insight that I need in the Bible that will help me navigate the crazy. You know, maybe you're an emotional wreck, and I understand that. I really do. I am the father of four daughters and a wife. No, I understand. I understand being an emotional wreck. I've been an emotional wreck. I get it. I really do. And maybe you're an emotional wreck. Can I tell you, in the midst of your emotional trauma, the safest course of action is not to follow your emotions, but rather to cry out to the Spirit of God for counsel 
and allow him to point you to scripture to lead you through the emotional difficulty. I get it. I do. Maybe you're, you're, you're facing the downsizing in your company or maybe they're asking you to take early retirement and you never asked to take early retirement. And you look at your retirement and you look at, at your finances, you look at your bank account, you look at your future and you go, oh my goodness, this is not going to work. That's when you cry out to the Spirit of God for wisdom, for truth. And He'll point you to Scripture, give you insight that you can't muster through a book or through your own wisdom. And here's the trick about that. You know, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't always give you all the counsel in one fell swoop. Sometimes He just gives you the puzzle, one puzzle piece at a time. But He's still directing your steps. He gives you comfort of perfect counsel. And really, it all hinges on the number four. See, everything, everything I've talked about, everything that Jesus talked about hinges on number four. And that is we need comfort of a satisfying intimacy. And that satisfying intimacy can only come through intimacy with God. Hear me, please. Every person here, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, you long for your soul to be nourished. You long to have intimacy relationship. Something to satisfy your soul. Every person here, that's the way we're made. There will be no satisfying intimacy apart from intimacy with God. I cannot find intimacy and relationship with other people that will satisfy me if I do not have intimate fellowship with God. And the only way to have intimate fellowship with God is through Jesus. The only way I can be satisfied in my relationship, in myself, the only way my soul to be nourished is through fellowship with God. And the only way to get fellowship with God is Jesus. That's why Jesus told Philip, because I live, you will live. And through Jesus, we live. He is the way, the truth, the life. Because he is the way to the Father. So we're followers of Jesus, and, and as followers of Jesus, every person here who has stepped across that line of faith and become a follower of Christ, you might look at your life and you say, well, I'm not comforted. What's wrong with me? Eric, you just said that if I have fellowship with God, then I'm going to have a, a satisfaction. I'm going to have my soul nourished. I'm going to be comforted. But Eric, I don't feel that today. Well, and I understand. I do. I get it. Can I just suggest that perhaps as Jesus is talking here, he helps us gain insight maybe while we're not feeling comforted even though we're followers of Christ? Look down and, and I'll just read one of them. Verses 23. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I want you to key in on that picture of we will come to him and make our home with him. 
The, the same picture is found in verses 21, in verse 21 as well. But, but uh, this idea that the Father and the Son are going to make home, their home, with us, that's the picture that we need. That's comfort. See, unlike my home growing up, home with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, that home, that fellowship, man, that is comfort extraordinaire in everyday life here and now. So as followers of Christ, Jesus has opened the door for us to be at home with him. But here's the problem. Sometimes we shut that door. Not, not God, us. I want you to see the picture of verse 23. If you obey or keep the words of Jesus, then you will have intimacy, continued intimacy with the Father. This is John 14, 15. This is John 14, 21. If you obey Jesus, then you will excite the Father's love in your heart. But if you don't obey Jesus, then even as followers of Christ, you are hindering your fellowship with him and forfeiting comfort in your everyday life. And what happens is, for many of us, what we do is we play the shell game of obedience. See, the shell game of obedience is where I'm obedient in shell number one and shell number two. And I point to shell number one and shell number two. This is where I'm obedient, and I keep the focus on shell number one and shell number two, but there is also a shell number three, and the problem with shell number three is that's my disobedience. And as long as I can keep my focus on shell number one and shell number two, I'm obedient here, I'm obedient here, I'm obedient here. I'm not thinking about shell number three, but it's shell number three, my disobedience, that's keeping me from finding the comfort that I need. It's shell number three. It's my disobedience that's keeping me from experiencing intimate fellowship with God that satisfies my soul. All of us around this room, what we do is, and, and I know you do it too. I really do. I, I, I believe you do. Maybe you're unique and you don't do it. But here's what I think happens. I think that in order to keep from changing our disobedience to obedience, all we do is focus on our obedience. And we never think about those points of disobedience in our life. And we go away starving for intimacy. We want to blame God, but the reality is it's our fault because we fail to deal with our disobedience. Now, here's where it comes down to it. See, for all of us, every person here, if you and I are going to be comforted, if we're going to live in comfort in spite of the crazy around us, it's because we are going to be obedient to God and because we are going to deal radically with our disobedience. We're going to deal radically with our disobedience. We're going to identify any point of disobedience in our life. We're going to confess it as sin and we are going to repent of it today. Not just today, but every day consistently. Can I tell you that this has to be my journey all the time? And my guess is it probably should be yours as well. 
If you're anything at all like me, there's fresh disobedience that I've got to identify, confess as sin, and repent every day, throughout the day, maybe even every hour of the day. But this is the key to letting not your heart be troubled. If I'm going to experience a satisfying intimacy, if I'm going to taste uh, the, the, the perfect continual counsel, if, I, if I'm going to find an a empowering present, an, an empowered today, if I'm going to live with a vision and a focus on my secure tomorrow, it's because I deal with my sin here and now. And an hour from now, and five hours from now, and a day from now. Can I talk to church people here just for a second? Would y'all please stop playing this game? Well, I'm here, and I'm, I'm showing up, and I'm acting all religious and right. Would you please stop playing that silly game? You're not fooling anybody any more than I am. What you are doing is creating harm for the entire church body. Stop playing the game, and let's just be real. Yes, I have sinned. This is my point of disobedience. God, forgive me of this sin. I turn from it. I repent of it. And if you have to keep repenting of the same sin, keep on repenting. Good night. Fight. Let's stop playing this. I've got it all together. You're not fooling anybody. By the way, I can probably identify your sins. And you can probably identify mine. So stop playing this silly game like you got it all together. You don't. Neither do I. But here's what we have in common. A loving Jesus who's made a way for us to trade our misery and take hold of comfort. But it begins right now. It begins right here. You have a choice. You can choose your misery or you can choose comfort. Which will you choose? If you're going to choose comfort, then here's where it begins. Identify your point of disobedience. Whatever it is, how small you might think it be. Identify your point of disobedience. Confess it to the living Jesus as sin. And repent of it. And be comforted. Don't settle into your misery and think that's going to be good enough. I pray to the dear Lord you don't think it's good enough. Today, be comforted.